This is Listen Here Now, Serious Library News Magazine, the podcast for the Pendleton Public Library. Please remember to like and subscribe, and tell your friends and family they can find us wherever they get their podcasts, including Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and Spotify. And we have Jill Clark back with us today, and we're going to be discussing uh, the classic Little, Mer- Little Mermaid story by Hans Christian Andersen uh, with the Disney movie. Yes. So this is going to be a little disappointing for some people. It might be. Or uh, revolution. Like, like <laughs> it might just lead right into a college course. That's right. That's what we're expecting <laughs> to do. Uh, we're expecting to teach it and make the big lecturer. That's right. right. That's how. Do you remember our title? What is our title? Dark Disney versus Danish theological whimsy. Right. Danish theological whimsy, <laughs> I said, would should have been my um, my degree. Should have been Danish theological whimsy. And actually, <laughs> it could have been because uh, my thesis for my bachelor's degree was the art, print, and expressionist Germany. Mm. The expressionist art, print in Germany, 1912 to 19... 19- 32. Okay. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a rough period for art. Was it? <laughs> I t- I'll take your word. I'm, I'm, I'm not well versed in that one. Yeah, there's, uh, there's a lot of things that make you unhappy in those. Yeah. Well, but anyway, anyway, let's talk about... Mr. Henderson was probably <laughs> always happy and filled with hope based on his writing. Oh, <laughs> so many happy fairy tales. Uh, as a matter of fact, I can only think of one that has an outright okay ending, and that's Ugly Duckling. I was gonna guess that. Ugly Duckling, uh, he shows those jerk ducks who's cool. <laughs> yeah, so what else does he have? Uh, match? Oh, Match. Yeah, Match. No, that's. I, I guess Emperor's New Clothes, heaven. right? Doesn't he? Um, at the end. Well, I think it ends great because the yeah. emperor just gets left. It's not left too left. heavy. Nobody dies in that. I don't. Th- do they? Do the guys that make the clothes? Do they get punished or do they get away? I don't know. Mm. That one I'd have to reread. Bit neutral, maybe. That might. Yeah, <laughs> that might be a neutral thing. one. But Ugly Duckling. That's that's a PG or G story. Now, okay, Little Mermaid. Do you want me to give my, um, you can time me, okay. if it's a TikTok three-minute uh, <laughs> description of, uh, run through the plot of Hans Christian Andersen's Please. Little Mermaid. A, a brief synopsis of the plot. And three minutes, go! Okay, I'm, don't let me side bird walk all over this one, because it's so hard. Okay. Okay, okay. First of all, it's in the sea. There's a sea king. He's a widow. He lives with his aged mother and six daughters. Mer people, it's important to know, live to 300 and then they become sea foam. No immortal soul, immortal life. This becomes a big deal later. All the daughters have gardens and they collect items from humans. Except for Little Mermaid. She actually focuses on the sun with beautiful red and yellow flowers. But there is a statue, a marble statue of like a boy or a man that she is keen on. But it is not the center of her garden. Her garden is all about the sun. 
I gotta go faster, don't I? Okay. Um, her every once they're fifteen, every uh, mer person gets to go to the surface. I don't know why I'm looking at the mic. You can't see me. <laughs> so, okay. Once fifteen, the mer people get to surface and look at the world above. Every um, Little Mermaid is the youngest, so every older sister goes up and then reports of icebergs and green hills and children and birds, and Little Mermaid just can't wait till she's 15, but it is totally okay. It is what happens once you're 15. It's like a rite of passage. So, um, she is... Oh, there's little details. I must move on. So, she finally gets to go up to the surface at 15, and she sees a great ship... And there's all these festivities for this boy who turns out to be a prince who's turning 16 and she gets to see fireworks and all this great stuff and she loves it and she especially loves to look at that boy, the prince. Then the party subsides and a storm comes and the storm takes down the ship and the prince starts to sink. Little Mermaid is ecstatic. She's like, he's coming home with me. <laughs> and then she realizes, wait, humans won't do very well underwater for a great period of time. He's going to die. So she um, she picks him up, swims him to the surface. She basically assaults him a little bit, kisses him a whole bunch without consent, and then swims all night to take him to the shore, to this white sandy beach next to a church or convent. I'm not really sure... I've seen different ones where it was like a church or a convent. Mm -hmm. Basically, kind of a temple of some sort. Um, something religious. And then she leave, lets him lay there. She takes off. And then some people from the convent or church, rest, you know, pick him up, help him out, nurse him back to health. She goes down and tells her sister all about, her sisters all about it. They're all, think that's a very cool story. And then she... God, I can't do this in three minutes. <laughs> the story's so long. Okay. And then um, she, her sisters go snooping for her and find out where the prince lives and find his castle and tell Little Mermaid. So then she like stalks him at night and all the time and just like <laughs> stares and tries to like watch him because then she's, you know, she's, you know, love at first sight kind of thing. And then... Um, she ends up telling her aged grandmother, and the grandmother's the one that tells her that um, that if she wanted, oh, she tells the grandmother tells her about their immortal soul of humans, and says um, that mermaids don't get it. Mer people will live to three hundred and become seafoam, but that is still a great deal. Three hundred years is a long, lovely time, and under the sea, life is better. But. There is a way to have an immortal soul, and Grandma kind of spills the beans about it a little bit, about how they could if they fell in love with a human. So, um, then they have a ball, and there's a ball, and Little Mermaid does not bail on it. She sings, she's beautiful, everyone loves it, but then she slinks away um, the part from the party and finds the sea witch or sorceress, whatever she is. And she, the sorceress sea witch, mistake was sea witch, <laughs> sea witch is just doing her own thing. <laughs> and, um, and tells her right away, I know what you want, Little Mermaid. And it is very stupid of you. She very much warns her, this is not a great deal. Don't do it. 
Little Mermaid doesn't care. She wants to do it. So, um, she says, I'll give you this potion. And she does do a little thing. Like, there is a little song in it as well. So, Disney got that on. Okay, back on. So, um, so... But she, um, she tells her, um, I'll give you this potion, drink it when you're on the shore, but it's going to hurt. It's going to feel like sharp knives cutting your tail into those two stubby things they call legs. And it will always hurt. And it will feel like you are walking on the tips of sharp knives. And blood will follow you. So she will just be constantly dripping blood and feeling like she's walking on sharp knives. But she will be a great dancer. Um, and Little Mermaid's like, okay, I'm still in. And then she says, but every spell, every, you know, everything has a cost. And what I want is your tongue because you have a beautiful voice. And so I want your tongue. And this is where the body language song kind of comes in. And, but the sea witch cuts her tongue off. And, and then she... Um, goes to the shore, drinks the potion, does all that excruciating pain, and the prince actually finds her on the shore. And he gives her clothes, and he calls her his little foundling. Mm. Yeah, I know, that's the face <laughs> I made. And, so, and, and then she, his little foundling dances for her, and they think she's lovely, or for him, and thinks she's lovely. Um, and the prince will <laughs> repeatedly say that she's like his little dumb child. Good his night. little, little, my little foundling, my sweet little dumb child. And I think dumb <laughs> in this one is Mr. Henderson's way of saying mute. Of course. <laughs> Without speech, we might say. Um, but then the prince is told, so there, he dots on her, but she like sleeps at the foot of his bed like a the little foundling pet she is. Oh my god. And then, um, and it's so sad because she's just doe-eyed and looking at him and he's like kissing her small little forehead and being like, oh my little dumb child, I think so fondly of you. Um, and then the prince is told, you know, he's 16, get married to a princess. And so, he is not excited about it, actually, and is telling his sweet dumb child that he's going to have to get married. And um, But when he sees the princess, so he sails off to see her, he, she reminds him of someone from that church or convent, and he thinks that's who rescued him and falls for her, and then is okay with this arrangement or betrothal. So um, they get married and be um, on a ship or is it a ship actually that's I just made that up I don't know where they get married um, and so they get married so, you know probably that convent probably, probably that convent something white sandy beaches and beautiful orange lilies or something so people in their destination weddings anyway I know so um, Little Mermaid's sisters arrive near the wedding and they um because Little Mermaid's just like, oh, I'm waiting for dawn. Because once dawn happens after this marriage, that's it. No more mermaid life, because that was the deal. The witch, sea witch said, once you'll never go back to mermaid. Once you go human, you don't go back. <laughs> and so um, she... Um, where was I? So she's just waiting to die and become sea foam. And her sisters tell her that they talked to the sea witch and cut all their hair off in payment. So they're all bald, six head, or no, five heads of hair. Um, 
to the sea witch and she's given a a knife and they say the sea witch said if you kill the prince before dawn you can come back and be a mermaid with us and little mermaid is like deal so she grabs that knife instead of thrusting herself to sea foam and goes to the you know marital suite and sees them sleeping in bed and he like is like resting his head on her bosom and like saying her name in his sleep and she's like I can't do it he loves her and I just love him so so she um she decides she can't do it and she does throw herself overboard into the sea at dawn to become the foam of the sea and then um I'm looking at the scene oh yeah because I was like that's what um, then she, um, doesn't really become foam and notices herself floating up into the air with these ethereal beings and finds out that she's rising above the sea with the daughters of the air. And the daughters of the air say that if she will do their bidding of, for 300 years, she could obtain an immortal soul. And Little Mermaid says deal <laughs> that's the end of the little mermaid oh you know what it's like there couldn't have been at the end of that like you could have a mortal soul or she's like or could i go back to human no no because no. then you could be human after that and then a mortal soul you could really like stretch it but she really wanted that immortal soul yeah that was the cell yeah and Disney is so different. <laughs> so different. Well, she couldn't go back and be very happy as a songless mermaid, I'm thinking. Yeah, they didn't say anything about the voice. She wouldn't get it back. She wouldn't get it. So she would have been a mermaid without her tongue. Right. Hmm. Yeah, not great. I didn't think about that. That tongue was... That's that's not... The, the witch said, I got it. It's mine. Right. Got your tongue. I got your sister's hair. <laughs> so seafoam, what I always thought of seafoam is just like, you know, sometimes there's some frothy bubbles and stuff yeah. on the ocean. That's not the seafoam they're talking about. No, it's it's that horrible, it, like almost solid, it looks like detergent. You could pick foam. it up. You can pick it up, but it actually is just uh, something that happens in the ocean, and it actually is... I think protein from little creatures being smashed a bunch. <laughs> I know it's, but it's and so. But there's these exhaust. beautiful sherbet and minty colors right. as it flows I've through the sea. I've only ever seen it being brown, so ew. Yeah, no. So it's all the seafoam sounds better. Yeah, but there's no um. So there's many, many differences, and we talked about one of them earlier. The biggest difference is that going to the surface and collecting human things is not forbidden. And there's this whole, like, forbidden aspect in the Dark Disney version of, like, this this overprotective parent and rebellious teen. And I don't know if that's just, like, a sign of the times or, you know, if we wanted to, like, create our own backstory on why people do what. Um... I would think that it was really just, uh, you know, they had a formula 
Disney had a formula that they get rid of when it comes to Beauty and the Beast. But the formula was uh, unhappy childhood. And uh, to get away from this unhappy childhood, get married. So, and very confined, restrictive. Right, right. Beauty and the Beast gets out of that because she has a real nice dad. <laughs> she got along great. Yeah, he was very nice. He's a sweet guy. They yeah. have a good time. Nope. So, yeah, they ex the grandmother yeah. in Disney. Yeah. They made um, King Triton. Uh, one, everyone's got names, which yeah. I think is, you know, handy. But everyone's got names, and they... Uh, it's overprotective dad, never see the surface, it's not a rite of passage. And Ariel, and the sh- she bails on, like, performances and people and lot. Like, she's getting help from her family on it. I think her dad even, I think King, uh, the Sea King visits her in the story at one point. He's like, I don't know, he's probably like, you good? You need anything? <laughs> and she just... Sorry about the legs, but... <laughs> yeah. Walk it off! You that's got it, this. Heard you're a great advice. dancer. <laughs> you don't need to sing, baby. <laughs> so, uh, but there is talk in the store in the in the Henderson version where the sea witch does say that you know, like there's body language, there's other, th- you know, you don't need this, you know, and it's your it's your trait, and I want that. So yeah, um, I can just think of the Ursula one. But yeah. they made Ursula wanting to also be. Everyone's just heightened, very right. rebellious, and there's a lot of like have. forbiddenness to, and like, I guess domination. You know, like I Ursula wants to. So. Tr- you know, she's. She tricks and lures Ariel into this. Right. And thinks this is a great opportunity for me to take over the kingdom. And I. I think that's the most upsetting difference for me. <laughs> The sea witch was warning her. This is a stupid thing to do. Yeah. They just had to have a villain. Yeah. They couldn't take anything from, like, Studio Ghibli and just kind of make things. Like, you don't have to have a villain. You have to have somebody to fight against, not a situation to grow through. And some sort of, like, I want to take over. I want everything. Mm -hmm. It's an all-or-nothing life. Yeah. <sighs> I guess it gets the kids in the seats, but yeah, I was like, she's, I yeah, I didn't Ariel's, I mean, but I, 1989, that was Disney. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember loving those songs, yeah, like Under the Sea and Part of My World. Le Poisson is my favorite. Oh yeah, so I love Le Poisson. What is this? <laughs> it is sweet and succulent crab. In the sauce, here you go. <laughs> yeah. There is a line on that song that makes me laugh, and I, I can't think of it on the fly. It will um, have to be post-podcast, but yeah. it is one of those, like, <laughs> he says something, that chef, and I was like, it's so great. Um, but I was like, I, yeah, I was like, her family's way more supportive. They just think sea life's better. Yeah. And don't make deals with sea witches. I guess that kind of, you know, she tells her that it's going to be a bad deal, and she makes the deal anyway, and it is bad. She pays way more than she gets. Yeah. And even what she gets is, it's kind of like the Wish.com version of what she wanted. Yeah. She wanted she was like, oh, and she got blood. 
and and you're in yeah I was like they missed that whole thing about like constant pain and just being like and still yes they she, they make her kind of awkward yeah, yeah, not a graceful dancer. Not a graceful dancer. No. Um, Dancing on the points of knives must be... Can you imagine if Disney would have had Ariel lay at the foot of Eric's bed? And be called, like, my sweet dumb child? <laughs> oh my goodness. No matter how they put that, that would not have worked out. Test audience frowned. <laughs> Test audience walked out. <laughs> and he's 16, she's 15. What kind of... Yeah, self-righteous jerk. She's your age. 18, 1836. Child. Yeah, 1836 he, 36 or 37. Um, that was the case. There was another one I was... Oh, so another difference is when she sees Eric. Obviously there's no giant statue on the ship that sinks down and it, it is Eric. Or the prince. But, um... After she sees the prince at the ship and brings him to shore, in the story, she suddenly becomes sad. Not like, I'm in love, and like, la la la, putting flowers in dad's hair. She's actually very sad and quits tending to her garden and, you know, and like, kind of is fading away. And her sisters are worried and, you know, people are checking up on her. And I think, oh, there was, I wrote down a quote because I was like, um... Oh, there is a th- her aged grandmother. Because I was like, she tells her pride must suffer pain. And she's like, Cause was, oh, that's what I wanted to share. But I was like, I can't stop. <laughs> I had three minutes and I doubt I made that. So, but I, um, when you do go up to the surface, it's this big thing. And you get like lilies in your hair and they attach oysters or clam- oysters to their shell. And Little Mermaid complains that it hurts, it's heavy, she doesn't like it. And Grandma's like, pride must suffer pain. And I thought that must really probably speak to something autobiographical from Mr. Henderson. I want to say Mr. Henderson, just like The Matrix. Uh But but it's (laughs) Mr. Henderson. (laughs) I'm very suspicious, Mr. Henderson. I'm gonna think of him as a as a, the original. Uh, what's his name? Are you Neo? Oh, oh, I was like, are we on Matrix? Okay, yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> the original Neo. Uh, anyway, Mr. Henderson. Mr. Henderson <laughs> <laughs> uh, was a very sad person. I'm sorry to tell you this. His childhood was extremely grim in a nonviolent brother's grim way, but in a in the same way that Charles Dickens had a terrible childhood where irresponsible parents ran up a bunch of bills. Oh yeah. And their children went to work in factories to pay the bills off. Yes. Because that was a big thing there. Oh, yeah, I, was, I would assume a lot of personal trauma inspires creation and innovation. It does, <laughs> and possibly uh, does not help you to gain and hone social skills. Because also he was... He was odd. He's a real weird guy. And he was... Uh, he found it very hard to connect with other people, which I can understand. He 
uh, always really wanted to, which is the saddest, saddest thing that I ever hear about a creator. Another person like this, Vincent Van Gogh. Mm. Really, really wanted to connect with people. Really, really. And that's when it's difficult. If yeah. they were like, I don't like the world, I'm fine to hermit out. Yep. But it's when you want to connect. Yep. They could have pulses on like anybody else and just, you know, yeah. oystered their way through the world, but no, they. Instead, they sucked. But he did couch surf for like. Five weeks. Five weeks on Dickens at Dickens' house where they're like, it's been ages. Charles Leave. Dickens was so excited <laughs> that he was coming to England to do some lectures because he wanted to meet him and then, oh, we wanted to come to his house. Oh boy, the children will be delighted. Because <laughs> <clears throat> Dickens had a million children. Just... Just like any Victorian. And then when he came, he would not leave. They loved him at first. Fun and full of stories. And then he just would not go. And I think to get him out, they finally had to leave the house to themselves. Like, go on vacation. We're, we're going to the sea. I have a weird story about that <laughs> that time period. Uh-huh. Um, so, Anderson, Mr. 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 Henderson. Henderson. I'm adding that age in there. So anyway, Mr. Henderson said, um, the first morning at Dickens' house, he proclaimed it was Danish custom for one of the sons of the household to shave their male guest. And the Dickens family said, we know a barber. <laughs> walked him to the barber. The local barber. Um, I feel like that's not a Danish tradition, but I'm... But th- that leads us to a whole nother conversation we were having about Mr. Henderson. He... Mr. Anderson. Seems to have been a homosexual person. But... <laughs> the, in some ways what I have read about that. Uh, It doesn't make me doubt. It just makes me think that sometimes people see us... Because he never said he was. He never said a word about any of it. That was not part of him as a person. Love was. Uh, But anything else, he did not. He had nothing to say. Uh... They talk about his mannerisms, which is an unfair way to try to characterize a homosexual person. Mm-hmm. They talk about... And someone we just said went through a lot of trauma. Right. High A scores for Mr. Anderson. Right. Uh, he... And I'm not saying that he wasn't some form of LGBTQIA. Mm-hmm. I'm, I think he probably was myself. But I'm not sure that we can go by all of the proofs that people give us that he was. Because but I thought he was celibate his whole life. And, and so was, I think that just ties into some of his like more religious right. views. Mm-hmm. And he was just very celibate. but Right. And celibacy was very well regarded. But maybe more sensual, but a a celibate, sensual being. Very possibly. Also, uh, the one time I know of that he wanted to marry someone, he wanted to marry a lady. And he wanted to marry the opera singer Jenny Lind. Mm, That's why you were seeing that. He wrote her stories, and he... I think he might have even written her... 
an opera. Not the music, but the story. And um, she liked him. Just fine. And they did not marry. They did not marry. She had to finally say, you know, I like you, but I don't. I have to love somebody, and I don't love you that way. So that that made him very upset. And he was most of his in conflict with himself and his own would, like moral or religious ideas and upbringing, and in many ways. I and maybe that's he why he just chose celibacy. I mean, we're creating right. a backstory here, so of course, and we can't know because we don't know spiritually. Yeah. Andronimus is that wait Andronimus and. And wait, why can't I say that word right Androgynous? now? Androgynous. Androgynous. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Androgynous. Thank you. Andromenous sounds Andromenous. Right That's a like a star cluster of some I, sort. <laughs> it's the I name do of our rever- spaceship from now on. Yes, it's <laughs> right. Mr. Henderson and his uh, No, I can't say that word now. No. That, no, anyway. now I've just ruined it. Okay. <laughs> but you know, he's like a Kierkegaard, wasn't he Danish? Yeah. He is uh is that what Kierkegaard was like too? Mm-hmm. Um, Kierkegaard was like that too. I don't, I'm not sure that it's a Scandinavian trait, necessarily, but... But they're like the same time period, too. And there was a lot of that... Right, it's Kierkegaard Being in the 1800s. Celibate is not the same thing as having an eating disorder. I'm not saying that. But uh, the kind of Christian religions that were popular at that time put... Um, just really revered people who were lifelong celibates in a way that is, we would find a little creepy. And also, uh, women who were, they called them fasting girls, Hmm. we would say anorexic. Oh. We think, of course, because they didn't have that then. But girls who were very religious and did not consume enough food. And they were yeah, fasting. Fasting. They were wasting away in a religious, spiritual uh, agenda of their own making. Most of the time, it was. You know, which is interesting because, like, he wasn't. He was celibate, mm-hmm. didn't marry, but interested. Mm-hmm. But he was also very like. I remember reading that he went to a lot of brothels, even though he never. Like, he might have paid to have a lady talk to him, but he would never sin. I'm doing air quotes right now. Never sin and have sex. Well, the guy that we know for sure was in brothels all the time never had sex with any of them. Uh, The painter. His name is out of my head now. Uh uh, The Impressionist. Who was... Danish? No, he was (laughs) He was French. But still, these hmm. things happen. People go to brothels and don't do that there. And also, as I recall, he went to brothels and he didn't do anything. That, like, he would try to... I think he was just, like, start something sometimes, but it was not. It didn't just, work out. He just liked the human form. He and he liked the human intimate beings. relationships. Right. And he liked humans and... Mm-hmm. And I mean, his whole, you know, like, the immortal soul is really the goal. Not not the marriage, not the prince. I think the Where the Disney is... is all about, like, I want the man. Yeah. Like, it's very... There's nothing about, like, other world or religious right. Right. or, like, immortality. But Aunt, Mr. Anderson was very <laughs> much like, she wanted that immortal soul. Right. That it was... Religious in... 
context. Here's a person who is without a soul, who comes from the deep sea, who uh, really longs for a higher life, Mm -hmm. which through trials and tribulations and missing out on things like a family life and a being able to speak. So she's like a nun. She is. Uh, attains a higher spiritual life that will end in an undying soul. Well, and that's, I mean, that the idea that you could die and it wouldn't be great mm-hmm. afterwards mm-hmm. because you're murky, gross sea foam or, you know, you don't have this, like, you didn't do what you were supposed to do on Earth to have mm-hmm. this lovely, immortal soul life. Right. Um, that's a lot of fear. Yeah. Um, and we talked earlier about Anderson being full of phobias. Right. He is... Uh, he's a person who... And I really feel like... <laughs> what the things that he did... Uh, not the things he wrote about, not the being weird or anything, like staying too long at somebody's house. Uh, although kind of in a way. Well, that's uh, everything a- he did was to try to be like the people are. He wanted to be a human being in the way he that he to be saw them. In, near that family. He wanted a family. He wanted to be part of something. That's why he wanted to get married. A wife would be Someone who would be legally obligated to care about <laughs> you. are legally. <laughs> but, you know, he was trying to, every way he could, to construct a family for himself. Yeah. Or to be on the edges of a family. Or to just thrust himself bodily into a family and not go out <laughs> again. And they, they didn't. That or work. brothels. And brothels. <laughs> I'm really sure that our view of brothels is really... I think he just wanted to be around... I think he just maybe wanted to pay women to talk to him. Or just like too. anybody. Yeah. I don't know. I'm assuming those women, but I don't know. It could have right. been brothels. Brothels do have other people besides cis ladies. But yeah. Um, I wonder... Do, do, do. Yeah, I feel like... Oh yeah, there's the quote. He spoke with a woman and paid her 12 francs and left without having sinned in action, but probably in thought. So. Yeah. In thought. I don't think that he could actually go from the thought to the, just like he couldn't really go from, I want a family and I want friends to being a person. Like, I want to have those. Right. I think he wanted, like, that all... Fairy tales are all like um, third person. Maybe okay. he just wanted to be the lurker in the window to human life. And but every time I read a Hans Christian Andersen story, I see uh, sad people who want to be part of the world. They want to be part of the world so much more than or they a part want of to what be. it's like to be a human or right. like a pious human. Right. When there is, because there's, you know, if we went and started going grim, like, grim's much more brutal, like, in what they do to what humans have to go through, where this one is, but there's this, like, you know, this whimsy and this beauty of, like, 
There's so much description of like the sea and the flowers and the clouds and icebergs and the land and the sand. There's so much beauty that's described, but pain, like the age grandmother says, like pain, you know, you have to, pride must endure pain or something. Which is weird because pride is one of the deadly sins. You can't be proud. So... I know, that one's... <laughs> there's something to unpack in that one. <laughs> I think that also, a lot of the things that are weird and off, and that don't fire quite right for us as a modern American English-speaking reader, is there are allegories, even if they're not conscious on the part of the author, there are allegories of religion within the stories that we're not catching. Oh, I'm sure. That were something that was caught at the time in early Victorian Europe. You know, the, er- the you know, early I didn't read century. it. I didn't reread the tale with that in mind, but I would imagine all kinds of little things oh, get bet. lost in there. It's a whole <clears throat> college course, like we said. <laughs> See, we weren't really kidding. <laughs> there is so much here. Forget it. I'm writing a different thesis. <laughs> <laughs> Just a thesis on Little Mermaid alone would probably be pretty meaty. But on all of his works, just, you know, what exactly is he thinking about these things? Did he have religious training? Well, it, well it's interesting that she's like a pet yeah. to the prince. Like, the prince knows she's not a person. I mean, she's a no, person. Well, he knows she, she's not a human. I don't know. I think he. But I think she's just. He thinks she's just this sweet, dumb child. So, because they never say that he suspects something. Like he never sees the mer people always hide if he shows up. Yeah. She can't speak, and I don't. And she's a graceful dancer. So, like, if I was like, you used to have a tail, but you're this great dancer, I wouldn't think you just obtained legs. This might be. Maybe that's so why she's a good dancer. Is to keep the rooms. Right. Well, I think it's because she's used to moving in the sea where things are all graceful with the motion of the current. Yeah, but it's a totally different thing with legs. I know, I know. This is the whimsy <laughs> of Mr. Anderson. He is whimsical. I think that the prince treating her like a child and a pet is really more of a social commentary about this is what unreligious aristocrats think of us because she drops him off at a convent to get better and what does he do? He picks out a girl. And it's not real. I mean, he did. She comes later and he... Yeah, because she's all hurt that she's like, he doesn't remember that I'm the one who saved him. He thinks it's some... Which is in the movie. Because when he comes to a little oh, bit, yeah. he sees her with the sun behind her, and he doesn't see all of her red hair. He just sees big eyes and dark hair, mm-hmm. and so that's... And someone who can sing with the most lovely of voices. So and he... then when he sees a mute person, he's suddenly, like, campy. Yeah, not her. No. No, no, no voice. Which, that's crazy, because why didn't he think, oh, here's a shipwrecked person who can't talk? Perfectly. And what does it say about what <laughs> what he viewed people with disabilities? Not great. <laughs> no. I was like, she could have been your wife, your you know, your mm-hmm. love of your life. Mm-hmm. 
for death do you par, but because she can't talk, you went straight to dumb child foundling. And but, she's a princess of the whole sea, and he's just a prince of nowhere in particular. No. I mean, he... I don't know, some sandstone castle. Right. He didn't. Sandstone castle, see there? Sandcastle. Sand. So... I think it says, like, a yellow sandstone castle or something. But I think that's specific, because I think he's saying this is worldly, and this isn't. This isn't what she should get anyway. It's temporary. It's temporary. This is ephemeral. Pretty much. Seriously, this is a whole <laughs> class. I want to, like, start writing right now our syllabus. Uh, also, I want to say uh, the TV show The Misadventures of Flapjack. What? Wait, is that a cartoon? It is a cartoon. I I'm don't... Re- I, I know enough to know it's a cartoon. Yeah. Uh, the little boy, Flapjack, he wants to be a sailor. Aww. And he's real, you know, Your, cute your audience is missing your cute little arm motions right now. Uh, they, if they've seen the show, they know that that's what Flapjack does. He swings his little elbows around. He looks real cute. And he lives in a whale named Bubby. And oh. <laughs> he has a friend who is a pirate that has two peg legs and wooden hands. Yeah. <laughs> They move his wooden hands. Uh, yeah, yeah. So he has I, no. Don't, don't he has think about it. Okay. You know, okay. It's... I'm gonna look up this flapjack pirate right now. Uh, <laughs> there is an episode where uh, everybody on this—it's like they live on a, a pier that's out in the middle of the ocean. It's not an island. It's just a pier that's built out in there. the middle of the. Oh, okay. <laughs> so. Everybody is making wishes that keeps coming true, as I recall from this episode. Ooh. And this wonderful mermaid who is granting the wishes uh, is diminishing. And every time they make a wish, uh, she's a little bit less, and a little bit less, until she's a horrifying, scary mummy mermaid. Oh, but that's okay. She becomes an air maid after that. Just like air maid. <laughs> Like the daughters of the air? <laughs> the daughters of the Do air. Do our bidding for 300 years and then you may have immortality. Yeah. Also, she's not Captain as... Knuckles? Is that the pirate? Knuckles. Yes. <laughs> okay, I, that's what I meant. Okay, <laughs> I found Captain Knuckles. Yeah. <laughs> he's not a positive influence. Okay. Yeah. His voice is Brian Doyle Murphy, the uh, actor whose brother is. Um, Bill Murray. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, he, if you hear a guy with a craggy, scratchy voice on TV or in the movies, that is Brian Doyle Murray. Oh, okay. Do you know how Captain K. Knuckles lost his hands? <laughs> no, I don't remember. It's been a long time. To a food processor oh. at a young age. And then he carved himself a new hand out of wood. And he enjoys talking to birds. That's like in Goonies. Yeah. It's like the nightmare scene in Goonies when I was a child. I was like, <laughs> oh my god, no! That was Sean Aspen's exact age. Oh, that was a chunk? And they're like... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that happened to Kay Knuckles. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, okay, I'll check it out. Yeah. Marvelous uh, Misadventures of Flapjack. Um, 
the money that they have there is candy. And hmm. it is really cute. It's an adorable cartoon with such dark undertones. Uh, have you watched the TV show Adventure Time? It's another cartoon. No, That's another really cute show with candy is a big deal. And dark, dark undertones. No, I'm thinking of Steven Universe, but not Adventure Time as much. I like Steven Universe because everything is pleasant. You know, the colors and the shapes. And, and the, the song, the, their theme song is the most beautiful. It is. <laughs> and it, so they're having big intergalactic battles between non-inorganic yes. <laughs> creatures that might not understand human emotions. It's so beautiful. <laughs> that's why I like Steven Universe. I think it's so pretty. And they're real short so that you can... That's one of my comfort shows where if I don't feel good I like to, that's... I like to watch that show. That one will do the trick. <laughs> you can see that. I, um, another one that gets darker than I thought was The Good Place. Yeah. Did you ever watch that one? I did not. Because I have that, that very mm-hmm. low Ted Danson tolerance. Oh. He's great for a little bit. <laughs> He's okay um, in small doses. I liked it, and it's the first season seemed so incredibly cheesy ABC family night kind of, uh-huh. and I was like, I don't think so. Uh-huh. But then it changed, and it came a lot into like a lot of like ethics of yeah. and like are you good because you know being good is what you know like mm-hmm. um what do they call it like moral cake you know like you know you're doing it because of the reward or the benefit of it so does that make it good or inherently good and which is one of the points that in uh, little house on the prairie Okay. Laura Ingalls I thought you were going to go back to Knuckles. Uh, I can't. I don't have one here. But I do have for her Little House on the Prairie. Uh, Laura brings up that her sister Mary is good. And she always wishes she could be as good as Mary. And Mary is, you know, always does the right thing. And she's always the one who says, we shouldn't do that. It's wrong. And when they're a little older, uh, after Mary's blind, she says to Laura, don't ever you know, be jealous of that because I was being good because I knew I was being good while you were being naughty. And I was doing it so that I would be the good one. Not because I wanted to be good. Okay. But because you were naughty. (laughs) And I wanted to be the better one. Yeah. So that's... (laughs) That is interesting. Hmm. That's a little tougher than I really remembered those stories being, but it's been a- I don't remember Little House on the Prairie that well. But you will have to ask someone else for that podcast. <laughs> um, but you know, I like I, the ones that Cherry Jones does. <laughs> does which ones are those? Uh, she does the audio um, editions of the Little House on the Prairie. <gasps> oh, but, okay. Uh, and she has a lovely voice that sounds a little country, and then she sings all the little songs that are written throughout the... So she Aww. knows the tunes to all these little songs. That sounds adorable. It is adorable. So that's fun. Uh, as a... Um, as a piece of American life, I don't really think we should read it anymore. Pretty, pretty hard to take. Yeah. 
And there's so much to read. There's so much to read. There's so many books to read. Um, and Cherry Jones will read them to you if you... I just got... <laughs> well, at the Overdrive through the library, I just got the audiobook of The Magician, so that's going to be my next audiobook. Who reads that one? I don't know yet. I, I hope it's good. There's been, I mean, I did all of the His Dark Materials audiobook. That's my favorite. They had all the character voices, and it was so good. Um, Magicians, I just love that show, and I'm done with that show. Now I'm ready to read the book. Yeah. So snarky. <laughs> Those... I'm not sure that there are that many, from what I hear. I didn't watch the show, but there's oh. not that many differences. Then I will love it, because it will be so good. So wait, if we circle back to Little Mermaid. So back to what we're talking so about, back for to real. No more <laughs> prairies or flapjacks. So... Yeah, but Flapjack fit it in because the mermaid turned into an airman. Oh, no, okay. I know. Uh, and Flapjacks. I bet there was Flapjack talking Little House on the Prairie. I'm sure there was. Something on the griddle. So, I, um, <laughs> what, oh, they said, or we talked about, um, they being the interweb somewhere, somebody else's <laughs> college course. <laughs> that a lot of his things were autobiographical and we talked about personal trauma being like some sort of birth of innovation and creation. What do you think is the autobiography because we're just going to speculate. Right. What's the autobiographical piece in The Little Mermaid for Mr. Anderson? See, I don't think it is necessarily The Little Mermaid herself. But do you think there's something to that you need to experience pain or suffer for this, like, higher, you know, like, this goal or attainment like immortality. Mm-hmm. Like, if he was always celibate, but curious and interested and wanting, like, there's something masochistic about, like, there's some sort of value to that. Yeah. I think... I think that that is probably uh, one of the symptoms of that era's Christian thought. Virtue? like Suffering is virtue. And uh, it is more important to suffer and be virtuous than to be pleased and be virtuous. It is better Mm -hmm. to have a hard time. Which is also very Scandinavian. But I suspect it's Scandinavian (laughs) from the religious, the the Christian point of view. I'm not sure that pre-Christian Scandinavians did have the same emphasis on someone who suffers is a more virtuous person. Whereas Christian Scandinavians do. That's a big thing. Or, you know, 19th century. Yeah, because it's in, in Little Mermaid she doesn't have like a fear so much as like a desire for immortality and then actually no fear to suffer through pain but she still suffers it's not that she doesn't want to do the suffering that's fine that's what she but she, she still says, does it she doesn't yeah, hesitate like, once she doesn't that is not every time the deal sounds worse mm-hmm. she's like that's fine I'll do it yes yes Please split my tail in two and I'll walk. And then she even, when she could kill a human, she's, she can't. Yeah. And I don't, and it's because of, you know, she 
knows that it's wrong. Um, I think that it... The end goal, like, she, you can hurt yourself, that's okay, that's virtuous, but you right. can't hurt others. Right, and I think that is the part that we're talking about. Are you good because you're good, or are you good because you're trying to be good? Because yeah. you see that it is a virtue. She can just go straight back to being a mermaid. She if, could, she could have. If she just kills that guy. And she doesn't do it because she's good. Which is a philosophical point. Uh, we don't do good because we're Christians and the minister tells us to. We do good because we do good. We're, we're good people. Mm-hmm. But yes. if you're doing good because of fear <laughs> of eternal damnation or I don't know and what I'm not else. Sure that, that punishment ever is something that is inspiring Anderson to No, it's all like self-struggle. It's yet. all it's all self-torturous. Right. Uh, it doesn't nothing that happens to any of his characters and terrible things happen to them. None of that is daunting to them at all. Yeah. That's an interesting difference between Anderson and Grimm. Right. The characters in Grimm are afraid. No, there's punishment and there's for punishment. deeds. And Anderson's characters suffer and are strong, or suffer and die, or suffer and nothing. But still, is human immortality is more coveted than going to something that is the opposite mermaid 300 year life. Right. And I don't think it's supposed to be a really a take on mermaids, is just like as much as. Nothing beats immortality right. that humans can have. Right. Nothing beats that. <laughs> That's that better. is the ace in your hand. Yeah. Okay, sure, you've got to be a human. But guess what? Soul. Soul. Forever. Mm-hmm. Which... But make sure you do good deeds, because you might not want like what your immortal soul <laughs> has to go through. I'm trying to think if he ever does ghosts. I cannot think... Of an Anderson ghost. Because that would be somebody who has 300 years, not even of punishment, just 300 years of being on Earth and not... Does the tinderbox have... Does it... Does, like... Because he has that witch... Because it's got that whole Aladdin beginning in the Cave of Wonders kind of thing. Like, he gets to take as much as he wants, but has to give the witch the tinderbox, and he's like, psych! And, like, you know, hurts her. But I thought she might come back, like... Yeah, but she's a witch, so that's different. Oh, oh, yeah. Then I can't think, because I was like, I think she might come back later in that story, but that's... What else is there? There's the Snow Queen, Emperor's New Clothes. There's another soldier's one. Good. I don't know. Tinker's sto- uh, soldier kind of one. Ted Fa- yeah, Ted Fast. Steadfast Tin Soldier. There it is, yeah. I kept wanting to say that Gary Oldman movie, and I was like, Tinker Taylor, Soldier Spy, or something. <laughs> I think that was a book first, too. Probably. Uh, that one... Like, what else did he... Ugly Duckling? Yeah. And we decided know, Ugly like... Duckling is probably the only story he wrote that had a happy ending. And it's kind of just self-satisfied ending. I know, I'm like, is it... I'm looking it up. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Are there ghosts? 
I don't know some of these ones. The well, it says the Snow Queen has one. I'd have to reread that one. The Bird of Folklore, Willow the Wisps. Willow the Wisps. That's Scottish, isn't that? Oh, I think that they have those anyway. Or is that just Nordic kind of? I think they even have them here. Really? Yeah. Any place like in lore, or you mean like like in lore? Okay. Little lights and campfires that. Because he may just go angel, actually, instead of ghost. That seems more like him. It does, unless he means the ghost to be, like, the spirit of a place. Mm. That's different than a ghost. Yeah. But leftover human being, I don't think... Not so much, like, enchanted kind of stuff, either. Yeah. I'm not... It's not... I think a lot of his stuff, even though it has to do with magic and sorcerers and stuff... A lot of it is really more of a, here's things happening to real life people. Which is a little bit of a departure from fairy tale literature up until then. Yeah. I mean, Grimm was picking up stories that people were, you know, don't go out in the woods and talk to strangers because... Worst things that don't go into strange houses in the forest, and if so, right? Oh yeah, there's a straight moral. Like, what's the straight moral in in Hans? But he's just, in my opinion, uh, he was just writing a story that interested him, and if it made you think a little bit, well, then that was just fine. And I think he still was gearing it towards children, wasn't he? Like, because I know there's a lot of children's authors that were not writing for children, and it just went that way, and. A lot of things happen, like Robert Louis Stevenson. Just, I mean, he's later, but he yeah. was just writing a, a keen book to sell to somebody, <laughs> and that stuff got uh, pushed into children's literature by authors and critics just after that, who were saying, "Oh, that adventure stuff, ah, that's for kids." Yeah, what you want to read is a book where nothing happens to a lady who slowly goes crazy. That's real grown-up literature. (laughs) What book is that? And is it available at the public library? (laughs) I'm just saying all of your high literature about 1918. That's the subtext. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. uh, He... Yeah, I guess he was writing... There were others who were writing more for children. Uh, The Rose and the Ring... I forget who wrote that. Uh, It's really a kid's story that takes forever to go nowhere. (laughs) It's a a whole lot of nothing. It's like they had lunch. The lunch lasted 300 pages. Um, William Makepeace Thackeray? No, did he write Rose in the Ring? Yeah. Oh my word, no wonder. That's your boy. Yeah. In 1854. A little bit. But, later, you know, it's still, still the. Yeah. I'm, they were, yeah. They had the same kind of. Uh, kind of for kids, kind of for. I would say this is more like family reading. Yeah, like. Okay. I haven't read this one. I'm pulling it up. It looks. Now that it's oh frog wait the princess and the frog that's Anderson isn't it? I mean I thought it was Peralt like wait no maybe I'm I don't 
I'm thinking of some... Oh, Pin Princess and the Pea. No, that's... that's. I was like, that's another Anderson. <laughs> princess and the something. He does write about princesses quite a bit. They just... that They're just akin to fairy tales, <laughs> just like witches. <laughs> and also, you know, representative of a person who is in a... A person who you would be interested in, who is in a place of struggle. Yeah. Princess, she's been pampered, all of a sudden she has to take care of herself. So. And, yeah, that one, that can't be a very long story. Because <laughs> I think it was the Princess and the Frog, like the Russian one, like the Vasilisa the Beautiful that I was thought about bringing instead of the Little Mermaid today. Well, we can get into Russian fairy tales anytime because... Fan I have Baba Yaga <gasps> opinions. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, also, when I was in the second grade, the storytellers came, and they told us the story of the Frog Princess in person, and it was terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> then that's what we want. The devil's mother is in that one. Oh, that sounds great. She pours out hairs in his beard. The devil's beard. They should just make devils more quaint. I know. I would imagining just like a little nicely kept little blonde beard, but I'm sure it was a Russian beard. Oh, like, big, yeah, burly, like with wool and fright. Mm -hmm. I don't know what else. Birds' but nests, probably. Birds' nests, yes. <laughs> Thick wood table or something. Yeah, right. That's what they keep in there. I'm sorry to my Russian listeners. I know that's probably not true. Unless you think it's funny, and then I, I do too. <laughs> I'm not Russian. Are you Russian? No. I'm like Polish, German, Ukrainian. So I guess the Ukraine and Polish. I guess, but still. Russians. But not quite Russian. I think are more like Scandinavians because weren't the Rus um, the Vikings that went inland rather than went to sea? Mm. Okay. See that. We have more to do. <laughs> we do. We do. I um should we circle back to Little Mermaid for let's one go, final thought? Go ahead and give our final thoughts. Oh, <laughs> let's talk about phobias. Oh Anderson had my favorite phobia of his. What please tell us. Yes. Tell us. Was um he would always he was afraid of being somewhere where he couldn't escape a fire. Mm -hmm. So he always carried rope in his suitcase. He's not, sus not suspicious at all. No. And I'm not imagining that it was a helpful rope. I'm imagining it was a rope that was too thick to tie around anything. Yeah. I'm imagining Just it one of those things where you're just like, I feel better knowing. Like someone who's got like, I have a jack in my car. I don't know what the heck to do when I have to change a tire, but I got is. it. Uh, can you imagine how heavy that was? Car rope is not light, folks. Rope is heavy. No, he didn't have some, like, <laughs> some REI webbing or something. Good, but, lightweight. But yeah, one. full of fear. I mean, I, you know what? I wonder how similar he was to Kierkegaard. Because the more we talk about him, the mm -hmm. more I'm thinking of, like, Kierkegaard. Yeah. It was just, like, very, very isolated, very celibate, very, t like, just always kind of... Uh, not at peace with its himself, mm -hmm. and, and always, know, and probably a strained mother relationship. I'm yep. sure, I'm sure people <laughs> had those a lot then. Oh, you know, just like people. they have them now. Yes. Uh, 
I always kind of understand. I personally don't have phobias. I just not. You have no phobias. I don't like fire. But it's not. Okay. I can, I can do stuff still. It doesn't keep me from... Well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, a, you know... Right, you're I'm afraid of stuff. But that's not, like, it's an not odd thing to be afraid of. I don't, like... I don't think anybody is I have a weird one. one. Okay. Okay. Since yours is a very normal human one. It's the only thing I can think I, of. It's not a great thing. fear, but it is a huge avoider, is uh-huh. revolving doors. Mm-hmm. I just feel like they're gonna, like, not keep going. Right. And there's a Pinch you at the wrong point. They're gonna yeah, and that's another thing, like slamming doors or just feeling like you're confined. I hate revolving doors. Like you have to push them and then there's other uh, No. There's a perfectly great door right next to you. Um that's always available. They always give you that option. So I I feel I a, a panic when I get when I get crowded into one or something. I'm like <gasps> just like an elevator. I'm like, oh no. So I guess it's a little claustrophobia, but but I don't think those things are. I I understand. See, I don't think they're. Thank even, you for validating my phobia. Well, I want you to make it much worse. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> and I I just I just mean that I think and that steam uh, comes out my ears <laughs> and flames. Phobias. Uh, it's never really anything that I think. How can you possibly be even made? nervous by the presence of that thing. I don't think that. I think, yeah, no, I can see how that would When I think he was afraid of dogs as well. And eating pork. Yeah, but we know someone afraid of dogs and it's absolutely understandable. I understand. And it's not because of something that has happened. It's just something that's in there. Yeah. I do have a reaction to, uh, and how is this ever going to happen. It's just the monkey inside having this reaction. Lions. Uh, I love them. They're beautiful. But if I am in a place where they are, like if I see them at the zoo or something, uh, I have a heightened anxiety reaction to them. That is markedly different. Just for lions. Just lions. Not a tiger? Nope. Panthers, cougars, all those things are great. Lions, African lions. There's something that makes me... But it's not a phobia. No, it's just like there's something that just makes you very uncomfortable and ready to like... Leap into a tree. Right. Mm -hmm. My animal hindbrain is reacting to stimuli from the lion. Hmm. Well, I'm sure Mr. Anderson had... (laughs) Fears. He would not like a lion either. I doubt yeah. he liked lions. I don't know any lion tales of his, but... Nope, that was no. me just going through the Rolodex. It's not there. It's not there. Nope. So, yeah, dogs. What was the one after dogs? Dogs. Pork. Pork. Yeah, not eating because pork. Because of, like, um... Trichinosis? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yep. I can see that. And I don't know how... I don't know about food of the 1830s. So, sure. Yeah. Fair. Well, lots of people really did cook their food properly. So I'm sure. Was... <laughs> but yes, so while he struggled quite a bit in life, we delight in his sad, sad, sad seafoam tales. I really didn't realize that they were quite so uh, based in religion. Of course they are, because the whole point of the Little Mermaid is she wants a soul. But yeah. I kind of 
kind of block that part out because I guess I wasn't. Which is funny because they never even explained to her what a mortal soul is, and she's just like, uh, yeah, I want it. Yeah. Like, they had to name legs to her. They're like, those things. Like, they had to explain legs. Those stumps. They but they're like, immortal soul. And she was like, immortality for a, th- for a group of mer people who have never heard of that. I know exactly what that means. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like, there was no sense of it. So, like, you didn't even know what legs were. So yeah. how... How did you suddenly go, yeah, I know all about this immortal soul? <laughs> That's a little presumptuous. But I did just think that his stories were about him being sad in various, you know, personas and situations and different cities. He's very conflicted. He's a very conflicted man. (laughs) He'd rather just torture himself. Right. But he does turn out a very... Because that's not one of the seven deadly sins, apparently. No, that's, like I say, that's an important part that's of virtuous. Right. <laughs> Torture yourself if you're not tortured in any But way. don't touch that prince while he's sleeping. <laughs> that, at please don't. all. Please don't <laughs> commit assault like that on an unconscious person. Thank you for being with us. Apps and anytime. I, I love am excited talking. to have you back again for another installment installment we'll we'll think of something good to talk about for the next one too yeah this maybe one. grim i do grim yeah okay okay okay, okay. let's do it <laughs> sign us off <laughs>